I'm Michael Sean Harris, and you're listening to Mike's Moment Of, a weekly podcast in which I, along with my guests, share our various interests in moments of inspiration, truth, life, technology, culture, and more. I hope you're entertained and informed, and that you feel inspired to join me again and again in my Moments Of. All right, Peter. Hi, welcome back. This is um, this is Mike's moment of, and what we can call this reggae history. It's more than reggae history, but you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll get some people up in arms. The last time I spoke to you, you know, we, we had said yes, we'll get you back here to talk about some of the revisionist things that you know you've heard and stuff with the history of the Jamaican music. Yeah. So. Let's start, quote unquote, the beginning, the pop music beginning, the ska. Where did ska originate? I mean, what I've heard is there's a there's like an uptown version <laughs> of ska, and um, and then there was a real ska. Um, well, I don't even know if I'm using the right word, I, but yeah, you tell me. You know, I'm not absolutely sure if there was a live version of ska. Um, you know, it. it I don't think the the um the Scatellites fellows were 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 um like playing it live and then it went into the studio. I think it started in the studio. Really? I, I that's what I think. I sh- I should really, you know, do some research and <laughs> and find out, but I th- I think, you know, um I think it is a studio. My Thing of it is that it's a it's a it's a studio creation because um, those people didn't. It was a genuine studio band where people were coming from from various other groups, you know, and and um, forming forming in the studio, if I remember correctly. So who who did that start with? Like who who was the producer or the engineer that was that was starting that kind of stuff? No, the engineer. As far as I understand, it was it was Coxon, was the uh, um, original engineer for those kind of things, and then it it was uh, Morris Sylvan Morris. What studio? What studio was that? At at the Brentford Road studio, the okay. um. It started there, and he started with, um, it's it's written down. The the equipment he started with was one of those, you know, like a tube, tube mixer. And uh, um, one track machine, you know, um, yeah, I think I, th- I think so, because the the how did it go the the um, the, the Stanley Motor uh, Motor had the first studio, right? And okay. Stanley Motor did did um, I think did these uh, recordings, and those recordings were direct to disc. You know, there were no tape recorders. Those days. Okay. Uh, well, tape recorders hadn't reached Jamaica yet. They're, they're okay. reasonably new. Remember, you know, the first tape recorder that this part side of the world knew about was when the Americans ended up in Berlin. 
Right. Yeah, and, and found this, this strange contraption that the Germans mm-hmm. had developed. Before that, they were wire recorders and wax cylinders, you know, that those crazy things, and phonographs, you know, the discs. But the tape recorders took a little while, and I think the original um, recordings were direct to disc. And what they did was they cut it, and then they sent that to England. And they made a mother out of that, and from the mother they made a master stamper, and then they used the, the master okay. to stamp out the, the, the records. So who were some of the, the, the iconic players, I mean, the musicians? No, well, from... the players are, are, are the... Um, it was um, the, the, the sort of bandly, wasn't it, Roland Alfonso? Okay. So, and, and, but the, the, you know, Alfonso was, was a sax player, you know, sax player, but, but um, the rhythm players were, you know, Lloyd Nib and um, Brevet on the bass, Lloyd Brevet. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it was Jerry. I play guitar originally. Um, you know, later on it was Frita. Um, and uh, what is his name? Jackie Matu was on piano. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, there was um, Tommy McCook, who was, who was the um, trumpet player. Oh, gosh. You sprung this on me, you know. I... <laughs> <laughs> Um, it, it was uh, Tommy um, Tommy the and and um, Dan Drummond, of course. Those were trombone. The, yes, um, trombone. The um, the famous Dan Drummond. You know, you always have those icons. You know. <laughs> Dan Drummond is <laughs> quite a character. All right. Um, I'm sorry. I'm so vague about this. Um, I'm. I'm I'm scraping, no, <laughs> but um, whatever it was, uh, the those the scare developed out of um, covering boogie woogie. Yeah? Okay. The umpa 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 umpa. You know that. Um, it is said that that coxswain you know, was looking for a substitute for the the records that he used to get. He used to um, okay. records for his sounds, for his sound system. Right. And then when the ship, you know, the, the war had ended, the World War had ended, so the ships no longer came. I think they, they came once a month or something like that. And he would, um, and they would people, they, he would bring these records. They would bring these records from New Orleans, I think. Okay, and this is how he got his supply of the American rhythm and blues. It was a kind of um, thing where uptown Jamaica was sort of, you know, like the English tastes and the American tastes. Okay, uh, classical music, semi-classical music, and the pop music was the was the um, basically the you know the Pat Boone, the um, Connie Francis, mm-hmm, the crooners, um, and uh... yes, yes, those the. Um, the white people <laughs> and um the downtown like the rhythm and blues stuff you know well preferred i would say i should say not that they didn't know anything about that the the, the other stuff the regular 
pop stuff. Right. But, um, they certainly prefer the rhythm and blues, the fats, dominoes, and and that kind of kind of stuff. And um, the recordings started off as um, boogie woogie, um, those um, shuffle shuffle things, the boogie woogie um, covers. And you, if you listen to the early things with um, who is it, snapping and and um, easy snapping and stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know. Yeah, the swing. it's it's shuffle and it's and it's a blues blues chord progression. So it was that. And somewhere along the line with doing these things, it that shuffle beat, that umpa 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 um suddenly it straightened out, umpa 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 umpa, right? And the accent became not one and three, it became two and four. Or, okay. or yeah, the, the, somewhere along the line it got kind of just got turned around. Yeah, the the thing that makes that starts to set um scare apart from boogie woogie is is the straightening up of of the of the the basic um lilt, you know, the the, the tang ta tang ta tan ta tan ta 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 right and um from then it was you know the little details of of the accent, you know, this this heavy um uh, ac- accent on the weak, the so-called weak beat, you know. Right. So whereas whereas um, Western music says it's it's the first beat and the third beat that you accent, right? And then with with it becomes the second beat and the fourth beat, you know. It's um, and in some ways that's the that. To me, is the cotch, the famous cotch that that reggae has in its bass lines, you know, where where there's nothing on the first beat, mm-hmm. and, and the bass comes in later. You know, the the line starts later than the first beat, right. and I used to be thinking, you know, where would this cotch from? And then it suddenly occurred to me one day that the actual the famous one drop, which is mm-hmm. on the weak beat, is is another cotch. It's another delaying of the accent. Okay. The first beat, the, the 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 accented first beat being moved to the second beat. It's a, just another catch. Okay. Okay. Um, well, that's one way to look at it. Well, yeah, I guess it's one. It's one way. I mean, it's similar, like, like in some Latin music, you know, where they have the the clave and the stuff is arranged around that yes, clave, even clave if it, is if it's in played. Band, it. Yes. Right. Right. So the, this idea of the catch is 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 what kind of anchors everything else yeah uh, but one thing though uh, as the scatolites played it you know the scatolites the way the scatolites played it the the um each instrument had its own riff you know its basic role inside the the um the rhythm explain that uh, um well the um the guitar had this this um what you call it, eighth note offbeat. In other words, mm. two, three, four, pa, 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 right? 
Mm-hmm. So it's playing on the um the the off eighth note of each of each beat. Then if you want to think okay. of it that way. And the the piano did a sort of version of that, right? And um, the bass played at that time for Ska was a walking bass most of the time. A walking bass. It was still the, the walking bass of the of of the boogie woogie boogie woogie yeah okay the doom 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 although lloyd brevet was a bit of a character and i think all right let, let me get to that later he would play the bass line and partly i think because the, the, the scatterlights were paid by the song they by 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 the piece by the song they weren't paid by the hour or oh. by the day. They were paid by the song. So okay. it became paramount that you did as many songs as possible. <laughs> okay. So, um, and, and this became the, the standard throughout the whole of that, the, um, the halcyon days of the recording industry, where you are playing, you're hired, you know, to play this session for this producer. And you want to get through as many songs as possible because the more songs you do the more money you make okay so when you've done a recording and you're the the, the, the there's playback going on if there are mistakes in there you try and ignore them because you <laughs> want to go to the next song right right this is um aside from the fact of 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 different you know um let's say um little more relaxed production values in those days you know those mm-hmm. are the 1960s you know the production values were, i i think of them as being different not not necessarily sloppy but but different you know we weren't as obsessed with perfection as we are nowadays you know right um, the, the um i think the performance was more uh was more the 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 desired goal um and, and the details were, you know, sometimes overlooked. And especially in the case of, of um, in Jamaica, where the um, musicians, maybe their standards were, you know, variable, shall we say. And a lot okay, of the yeah. producers didn't know what they were listening to anyway, so they couldn't tell right. either way. So yeah. who, who was doing the arrangements? for those scatoons was it i i am told the band leader was roland alfonso okay the the cuban right and um it sounds to me though that it's it's a kind of um band a sort of um band arrangement what the americans call the head arrangement Right, where you just um, you just take care of your part, right, right. And if you have any um, bright ideas, you shout them out. Okay. You know, and um, and so everybody comes up with his, you know, his part, and 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 because you know, ska, that whole ska and reggae thing is a formula. You know, it's it's a, it's a rhythm formula, and mm-hmm. you put stuff over that. So the 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 horn players would go off and work out there what they were going to play and if there was any harmony they worked that out and right. on the rhythm side now they just work out the um 
they knew what they had to play. The guitar is playing the ska, piano is playing the ska, you know. Okay. And um, Nib, Lloyd Nib, I, I didn't mention this a while ago. This basic, the sort of basic one drop beat that ska seemed to become, that wasn't what Lloyd Nib played. What was he playing? The, the one drop, he was free farming throughout the whole thing. Okay. If you listen to those scare things, the person who is enjoying it most is Nib. Stuff <laughs> he's going. No, you must. Lots of fills and lots of rolls and. No, he. It's just a. It's it's like a very rhythmic drum solo going on in there, and you okay. know this this in chip bap chip chip bap chip chip mm-hmm. bap chip kind of thing that 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 you hear. Um, you know, any Jamaican drummer, you say scare, and he'll play that. Right. But that is a pattern that was a sort of averaging out of the essence of the scab beat on the drums okay. that Byron Lee and the rest of the bands that, you know, the, the, the bands that followed, you know, caught on with it, you know, got with the program and did the, the scare was the, the big thing. So everybody played scare and right. what the drummers ended up playing was that, that, that thing, which was the sort of, uh, what you call it, distillation. Mm-hmm. What was going on? What 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 Lloyd Nib was playing is is a, is like a drum solo, in there. You should hear what if you listen to it. And this is where a lot of the propulsion of this the scatterlights comes from. The scatterlights, I marvel at it, you know, because when I was a schoolboy, and we're hearing these things. One of the things, some of us, you know, in we were a little more interested in music than just. You know, just I like this and I don't like this, or I, you know, we were a little more interested than that. We we're a little more analytical. People tended to be a little more analytical those days. Um, and we would listen to it, and some of us would find it hilarious that some of the gaffes, you know, there is a the, the Scatterlights famous cover of. The theme from the Guns of Navarone, that, mm-hmm. that, that film, you know. The films had a big influence on, on what was done in Jamaica, you know, because that was a big entertainment, you know, going to, going to a movie. So right. the Guns of Navarone was a big movie. And the Scatterlights did a thing of the theme. Now, the theme is quite sophisticated. It's not a three-chord tune, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's quite sophisticated, modulates, and it goes all over the place. And... When you hear them play, you know that he, that somebody came in with the idea. Could have been Coxon and say, "Boy, we have to do this tune," <laughs> and said, and one of them, you know, a couple of them would say, "How that? How does that tune go?" You know, <laughs> and then somebody, you know, one of the horn players maybe would play it, and then one of maybe one of the rhythm players would sort of have heard it, right? But there's pressure to make the recording. So they went ahead and did it. And man, you should listen to what it, some stuff is going on back there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. uh, with with um, they're, they're, they're not quite sure how the melody goes at one point. And then the chords, you know, guitar gone one way, bass gone a different way, and the piano is gone yet another way. <laughs> okay. okay. But having said all of that, all of that stuff is going on. It sounds great. It's great. It's great. 
it kind of doesn't matter, you know. Right, right, right. Because the 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 beat has such such a proportion. Do you know what I've found um um very instructive? You know, like here we are, you know, 60, 70 years, <laughs> 60 years after the thing has um has this music was created. Right. I there there is video, you know, of it and and mind you, it, this I saw one just a few days ago, and it was Jimmy Cliff, a very young Jimmy Cliff, singing with Byron Lee, the Byron okay. Lee band. And you know, it wasn't Scatellite; it was the Byron Lee band. But boy, I think I understand why you know how how how. This thing was things really live. It's live. <laughs> I don't know. And and um, an important component was that 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 honking saxophone that they had playing the scat also. Right. One of the things that I I noticed about the scat that that whole texture, you see that that pa pa the the scat. Yeah. The famous scat. Look, um, it was the guitar. The guitar, the piano, a harmonica, and a saxophone plays. Four instruments were playing it sometimes. Okay. It was going okay. ha 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 ha, and this is one of the things that that helped to propel the thing, to propel the the the, the rhythm. You know. Yeah, it, it right. It sounds yeah. so so lively. Mm-hmm. If you if you check some of those um, live, <coughs> live, films of live performances from the 1960s in Jamaica you might get it it's it's gritty and it you know it's it's 60s mm-hmm. but it, but it but it's really live i i understand you know how how the, how how people could find it so exciting and thrilling you know mm. now the the thing is once again you know the scatellites came out with this thing and and it it took off and interestingly well it it took off first first of all in jamaica and when it took off the the guys who were organized the big money guys baron lee running Nasrallah, baron mm-hmm. lee baron lee's band was baron lee was a kind of i guess you could call him sort of uptown because right. he you know he went to a high school he was a you know the st george's boy and he um would have become you know become a you know whatever you know a, one of those uptown executives or something but instead <laughs> okay. he, he did did this band business and the band business was big business and his um colleague there running Azrala, was the manager the running Azrala, and between the two of them they they knew you know they set the business right so the scatellites okay. had the talent and baron lee and running Azrala had the organization you know so okay mm-hmm. all of a sudden you know it, 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 you, you see it all over the world you know somebody comes up with a good idea that starts and the big boys just roll in and take it over right so there, okay. there was always some bad blood between um thing because um what is it the 1964 is that the world's fair the world's fair Right. right, Jamaica had a pavilion, had a had a had a booth, and that was Siaga taking them there. Or? Yes, yeah, and Siaga and this 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 brand new beat that you know was taking Jamaica by storm and 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 
is having um, a lot of action outside of Jamaica. England took it up. Okay. England discovered it and, and, and it became, it was called the Blue Beat there. And, and the uh, SCA industry started there as well. So Eddie Siaga, who was then what, Minister of Culture or something or something? Yes, yes. He um, took, um, they, they had, um, Jamaica had a booth at the World's Fair and they took SCA there. And instead of taking the scatterlets, they took Byron Lee. So it was my understanding that the, you know, the, the version, including the people who were dancing, you know, it was a, a kind of, I mean, I don't know if this it is the right word, a, a sterilized uptown, version. Uptown, uptown, <laughs> um, brown people version sort of a thing. Uh, a kind okay. of, yeah. You see, have you ever seen the, the, the dancing? The dan um, yes, you know, I, you see, see how two people different dance. types of dancing. Yes, there, there, there are two different types of dancing because they, you're seeing this this thing that looks like calisthenics. You know, they, right. they, they, it's, yeah, it's it's um these exercise things. This was what Ronnie Nasrallah and his his um people cooked up. Right. And, okay. I mean, people still use it. The, you know, they 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 up down up down up down. You know, side to side, side to side, side yes. to side. That is yes. uptown. What the downtown people um, danced to that was legs. Okay. You, you ever seen the, the? You ever heard of, about them throwing legs? Throwing, yeah, drop foot, throw legs. Yeah, yes, foot. yes, yes. That's what they. That's what they danced to. To to, to yeah. scare. Right. Um, right. But to be fair, though, um, uh, probably because of the amount of exposure that. Nasrallah and company, Byron Lee and company did it. Those moves that they came up with uh, were accepted, were, were, were brought into the fold. I mean, right. people uptown and downtown use the, those movements, even though it's not, they're not really downtown movements. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How, did, how did Carlos Malcolm figure in, in, in this, in the sky? Yeah, Carlos Malcolm. Carlos Malcolm was by far the 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 um I don't know the most sophisticated of of arranger the, the, or was he playing yeah, as well? Yes, or? he was. He was an arranger. He he's a trombone mm. player. I never even okay. knew that. Okay. Carlos Malcolm was a trombone player, but um, Carlos was an arranger. Is an arranger, I should say. You know, Carlos yes. is in California. Um, and um. Well, to my ear, you know, there was um, the, the big, there were big band rivalries, you know. There was okay. Byron Lee and there was Carlos Malcolm. And um, what was there? There was, there were some other bands too, Vikings and a few others, quite a few others actually. Okay. And Sonny Bradshaw and thing. But um, Byron Lee... You know, with the organization, and um, there were suspicions of other things. Apparently, okay. was always touted as the you know the greatest band, and and me in you know in my you know early teenager years, saying, "But Carlos Malcolm is far superior." Yes, Apparently's band. It was um, way more sophisticated, and it had a lot more of the Latin component in it. Right. Byron right. Lee was was um, loud, you know. And, <laughs> and most people liked it loud, you know. So so it worked, you know. Byron Lee worked, 
I, I you have to give him that. But okay. it wasn't um it it wasn't the most sophisticated or polished thing. But they so had that Carlos, machinery. It is kind of Carlos Malcolm was really a, a nice island or, or or South American type of band, you know? Sophisticated okay. could play a variety of music. And because ska was popular at the time, he also played ska. I but see. It's not okay. as if, it's not as if he it, he he was a aficionado of ska or anything. I see. Okay, I understand now. Okay, okay, okay. So, so the transition. How what the tra- ska now transition to, and how did that happen? No, what happened? Um, well, I, I don't know all of the reasons, but it is said, and it and it's it's a plausible explanation that what happened is the ska. The ska tunes are somewhere between 125 and 138, you know. Some of them, are, they're, they're up there with the right. tempo, you know. Pa, 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 pa. And the singers, that uh, because they, they, the scars, ska tunes tended to be at that tempo, it restricted the type of songs the singers did, you know. And you know, Michael, you, you know singers. Yes. Right? Singers <laughs> want to hold on long notes and make people love them, right? <laughs> and you can't do that with a tune going at 135 BPM, you know? Right. So the singers, um, and of course, singers, the singers sell, you know, not just instrumental music. So it is said that because the singers were limited, you know, in what they could sing, the, the tempo started coming down a bit. The tempo started coming down. So um, uh, let me see now. The... the um, even the more lively ones, uh, um, let's say, you know, the toots, toots and the meters things, you know, um, it's you, it's you, right? It's you, it's you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's you. It's you. Mm-hmm. I got to say, mm, hada, bado, bado, bado. Mm-hmm. yeah. All right, that is, it, it's probably still scat tempo, but you know, you the, the number of songs you can do at that tempo you know it, it, after a while they start to sound the same because right. they, they're that that up there so um if you think of a song like bob andy's um i've got to go back home mm-hmm. right now that is still you know that's that's what um that's about 110 112 mm-hmm. somewhere mm-hmm. around there and and so all of a sudden, we've come off the 130, 125 thing, and we're coming back a bit. And so, this is where you started to hear, you know, the Ken Booths, you know, When I Fall in Love, and the Alton okay. Ellis, um, Girl, I've Got a Date, right? And um, Desmond Decker, 007, you know? Okay. So, um, and so that is, you know, that's that's closer to what a hundred, you know. Right. So you know, gone are the one thirty-five and upwards tunes. But that's no that's no longer ska. That's why they um you hear people talking about transition songs mm-hmm. because um the tempos were coming down. The tempos were coming down. Um, but it hadn't settled into a new, a new quote-unquote no, style. No, it, it was, it was right. still sort of, sort of, you know, something else. But, okay. Um, and then, what is it? It is um, the, the first Rocksteady tune 
so they say, <laughs> was um, um, the thing there, uh, the Pope and Lewis thing, no? Um, what is take it easy? Okay. Okay. Take it time. Okay. Mm -hmm. I've, it's Grub, Grub explained it to me one day that that he he actually come into the studio. You know how they did those how how the 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 process was in the studio was the band was there right, right. and then they'd send the singer in, and the singer would sing his song to whoever, the piano player, maybe the guitar player. And then they figure, that's how they figure out the chords. Okay. And then mm -hmm. once you figure out the chords, you say, this is how the song goes, you know, sing, you know, and you, you play, mm -hmm. accompany him. And then everybody sort of catch on. And figure it's during that time that, that you know, the, the various ideas come out and, and you start okay. to try and put, put the song together. So, Hopeton Lewis must have... Um, you know, he came in and he came in with his take it down, take it down, take it down, and then the next part of his song goes and it was he could he couldn't he could if he wrote the song and he couldn't manage it at right, right. So Lin Tate, who was the band leader, the guitarist Lin Tate, Trinidadian guitar player, he was the one that said, Let's slow it down. Okay. So it, it became bagadem dim dum dim dim dim. Take it down, yeah. Take it down, take it down. And this is the story that goes wrong. And it's it's a plausible story because, and um, I haven't heard anybody come up with a with a better explanation yet. So I don't know if that, nowadays you don't know if any of this stuff is true. <laughs> but you just know the things that, that sound more plausible than others, you know. But Lintate was also um, very instrumental in, in some, you know, Lintate. iconic guitar sounds. With that. You know, that, that I, as far as I can see it, um, I, I mean, I can get in trouble with this thing, you know. Three, <sighs> three musicians, I think, have had... Uh, Let's say larger a larger influence in in the direction of of the music than you know than others. You know the music keeps evolving and it it it, it evolves as a result of mostly the musicians, sometimes the singers, sometimes oh. the the songwriters. But okay, but uh, mostly it's the musicians and three musicians: Lynn Tate, um, Sly Dunbar, and Cleve Brownie. I see those okay. as being some of the some of the um very important things. Lintate single handed was basically rock steady. Okay. Pretty much rock steady because if you listen to some of the um you know classic rock steady, you know, solid rock steady tunes, you find that Lintate is in there playing rhythm guitar lead guitar and some of the fills okay but one time one time and and then you you find out that it's possible that he it's his bass line that the bass player is playing <laughs> you know okay. so so he was um that was really his time that was his time 
And so Lintet, and he, he came into the rec um, recording, on the recording scene from Ska, from the Ska days, you know? Okay. Um, so um, at least, no, I don't. <laughs> at least he was there for the transition. I don't know. He might have, start, you know, come in during the Ska thing for the recordings. He was probably playing live. You know, in live bands, okay, for for scare, and then went into recording somewhere in the transition. I don't know this for sure. I I um I spoke with Andy Bassford, and he spoke extensively with Lintet. Lint, you, you know that Lintet was. I mean, I never had a. I wasn't fortunate to get an interview with him, but Lintet had an. Ah, uh, let shall we say a substantial ego. Really? You know? Yes, he was. Um, he was. Um, but um, it's not without good cause. I mean, <laughs> the man contributed a whole lot to the, right, to his okay. period of, of of reggae music, and he was um, he was the sophistication side of of the of the um, of the the harmonically sophisticated part. Of reggae, because okay. I have a theory. I haven't, um, you know, written it out and articulated it yet. But I've thought about it quite a bit. And there tends to be, sort of, at, in the beginning, two streams of of um, harmonic approach to harmony in in reggae, and okay. one is what I call the Jamaican approach or the Jamaican mental band approach actually okay. and the other okay. other side is the lintator side because and okay. what it is if um by listening to a lot of things this is my my theory is that a lot of the harmonic approach to music in in those those early days that those are band people you know is mm -hmm the approach of a mental band. Now, a mental band, the, the vast majority of pieces, the overwhelming majority of repertoire for the mental band uses diatonic chords because it's, it's, it's those kinds of songs that they play a lot, you know? Right. So they, they um, and it's, it's, it's the traditional music turned into these attractive little pieces that, that people will like, right? Mm-hmm. And remember, I don't know, Michael, I've told you this before in other circumstances, that one of my biggest treats in Jamaica is to hear a mentor band playing what you call a big tune. <laughs> one yes. of those mentor bands playing my way, you know? Right. Or right. again, you know, this couldn't happen <laughs> again. This is a once in a lifetime. You must hear them because their, their chord repertoire is four chords. Right, yes. And then you have again, which is... Um, Two fives all over the place. It modulates something, that, and then, and you hear that translated into a through four chords. <laughs> so um, that approach. So um, you you will find that um, um, Ken Booth's "When I Fall in Love." Mm -hmm. It's a minor tune. When you listen to. Um, the 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 um, harmony when when they use uh, 
you'll find there no secondary dominance in there. A lot of a lot of songs from that era, where you'd um, you know you're going from C major to 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 D. Yeah. Um, let's say you're in the key of G. Let's say then, so you're going from C, which is the four, to to D, the five. Mm-hmm. So um, in a lot of, you know, if you're in America or England, you go C to A7, which is the, the five of the D, right? Right, right. Secondary dominant going to the D, right? So the chord progression should be C, A7, D. Mm-hmm. A Jamaican group from that era would play C, A minor to mm-hmm. D because mm-hmm. A minor is the, is, the, is the diatonic chord. That's what comes mm-hmm. in the scale. Right. And they will always tend to play the diatonic chord. If it was lintate, lintate would play C, A7 to D, the secondary mm-hmm. dominant, which is the, you know, the way the Europeans and the Americans would play it. Mm-hmm. So, so that kind of sophistication in the harmony you will find whenever lintate is playing in the, in the, in the, um, in the rhythm section. Okay. So this is one of the things where, for instance, Desmond Decker's repertoire, discography, all of his songs, Lintate played for them, you know, in the in the good era. Mm-hmm. And it has that, that wit, you know, that wit of right. the sophisticated harmony. And it's not that sort of mentor man approach. Mm-hmm. The, I am not casting any aspersions at the mentor approach. Right, it's just two know. different things. It's, it's just yes, it's a, two it's different a, approaches, yeah. yeah. Let's keep it going then. I mean, because you, you, you mentioned two other people and, and I want us to get to those two other people that you said that were really important in, in, oh, in the development. Well, Sly Dunbar. Sly Dunbar would be the, the, the next one. You know, all sorts of, of people had, had influence, you know. The, the, um, the, there is like Winston Grennan, the drummer, you know, who, who um, was especially uh, significant in in reggae, the real reggae, not not the generic name reggae, you know, the thing that came after Rocksteady. Winston okay. Grennan started to, to, reg- um, to gain um, prominence during that time. And he was a much more busy drummer. So because, what are some of the songs he played on? Um, Pressure Drop and Sweet and Dandy. Yes. The, Monkey Man. And w- what happened is that he started up, the, the, when, once we got to Rocksteady, you know, the drum pattern became very simple the hi-hat was going click click kick 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 tick tick and the 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 <laughs> and the kick drum and the uh, the rim rim click went poof one time at the same time and it's that like was it that was like a version of a ballad is click click poof <laughs> click 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 poof chick 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 mm-hmm. poof that was all the drummers were playing and then um, because by this time, I think, you know, it was time for a change, I suppose, for an evolution. And also Americans especially, the Americans, the American black people, the R&B guys, mm-hmm. were, sad, were complaining, yeah, reggae is nice, but it's too slow. Okay. So there was an effort to try and speed it up. So what happened is that the average BPM rate went up slightly not much it was essentially the same tempo <laughs> but what they did is instead of playing eighth notes on the hi-hat chit chit, bah, chit 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 they just doubled it 
the rim click got a little more busy. It wasn't this fixed pattern. It sort of, it sort of helped. But this is one of the reasons why, why I think why the actual reggae, that reggae period didn't last very long because there, it wasn't much of a change actually. Okay. It wasn't much of a change. Well, then what did it become after that? I mean, how, what, what changes? Well, let me see now. What came after that was the, what they call this sort of rebel music phase. That's what some people have called it. This is we're talking about Dennis Brown and and um, the Joe Gibbs stuff. Um, and what was also happening was on the band side was now generation the Chong brothers uh, with Mikey Boo Richards on drums and Dougie Val Douglas on bass, and that became a, um, a an important force in the recording studio, especially um, Dougie Dougie the bass player. Okay. And um, so Dougie was another important person because that was a um, a strong and new voice with the bass playing. I probably should mention that that you had rem- remember we said in the Scatellites there was the band the, the Scatellites band which was roughly um, Lloyd Nib, um, Lloyd Brevet, um, Jai Jerry. Roland Alfonso, Tommy McCook, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Jackie Mitou. Right. Uh, well, then in the, um, you know, towards the, in the Rocksteady era and the transition, it was Jackie Jackson and Hawks Brown. Uh, well, Jackie Jackson and Lynn Tate. Okay. Started, starting off and, and Lynn Tate. It could have been Grennan. Grennan could have been coming in from there. Yes. Winston Grennan. I've, I've forget but though that was a very important very important um grouping there you know that is your um desmond decker oh seven the desmond decker tunes that's jackie okay. jackson and, and okay hux brown and those boys um and then once you got into the yes the end of the night 1960s the 1970s you had um, No Generation, which was, you know, as I said, Val Douglas and Mikey Chong, Jeffrey Chong, Mikey, Mikey, Mikey Richards, and Wire, <laughs> Wire, Earl, Earl Lindo on the other. Okay. And um, that was a, you know, a younger, younger, younger people, you know, and a, a sort of younger sound, and it was it, 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 another voice. Right. Okay. Okay. And uh, and that is the the Dennis Brown era. You know that one of the I think one of the best bass lines ever in reggae was um, Val Douglas. Dougie did that, and that was for um, Dennis Brown silhouettes. silhouettes. Okay. That's one mm-hmm. of the best bass lines I've ever heard. Well, for my taste. Okay. Right. And, and, and that's Dougie. Okay, we're going to stop this episode right there because me, me and Peter spoke for almost two hours. So, I, I mean, I have to split this up into two parts. So, I, the second part will come in two weeks' time. 
All right. Uh, but thank you. Thanks again for, for listening in. And again, I'm imploring you, you know, share these episodes, share this episode, uh, subscribe, subscribe on YouTube, subscribe uh, on Apple, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and um, give me comments, give me your feedback and give me like a ratings now. Thanks. All right. Until next time. <laughs>